thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. The Bible reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Thanks, Samaris. Uh, well, good evening. Welcome. It's good to have you here uh, tonight. Um, Just before we have a look at this parable and uh, continue this series wrapped around finances, just want to uh, let you know about a couple things that are happening in the life of the church um, around some of our staff. So you may have seen on GBC Links or the E! News or even on Facebook that we're looking to appoint someone full-time in a marketing and communications position. Martin Johnson has been in that role for the last three and a half years, and he's going to be finishing up at the end of the year. They're still sticking around the church, which is great, but we are looking for someone to do uh, basically a social media strategy for us, open our open wide our digital front door, as well as all of our internal communications. So that's all kind of happening. Uh, the other thing to let you know about, though, is that Chandri Brown, who is our services coordinator is also going to be finishing up at the end of the year. Um, Chandri's husband, Nate, uh, his family live on the central coast and his dad's been pretty unwell. And so they made the decision as a family to move to the central coast near the end of the year, which is a fantastic decision for them to make as a family. It's the right decision to make, but it means that uh, it's a bit sad for us as well. So just to, in case you know, you're kind of keen to know what's going on in terms of the changing dynamics, uh, those are two things that are taking place uh, for us as a church. You'll hear a bit more about that as we go on. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know if you... Um, well, I, I, actually, I do. None of you, I don't think, have ever prepared a whole sermon series. Has anyone prepared a sermon? Never mind. I won't even ask. Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it. You probably don't, because I don't think about what you do for your living. So, like, I don't, like, I've never thought about what you do, so I don't really care. So, you probably don't care either. So, I'm not really going anywhere, am I? Here I go. <laughs> um, when, when I sit down to prepare a sermon series, I might think about the theme or the passage or whatever we're dealing with, and I might sketch out a bit of the, ser- the series, right? So on this Sunday, we'll be talking about these sorts of things, and on this Sunday, we'll be talking about those sorts of things, and I might have a bit of an idea about where I believe that the, the series will go. And one of the things that I found um, has happened time and time again is that in the midst of a sermon series, it begins to kind of take on a life of its own, which sounds a little bit strange. But the more that I do it, the more I'm willing to see... Um, that it's actually the Spirit of God at work in the midst of that whole process. And so there's sometimes themes that kind of emerge out of sermon series that I did not intend or had not thought of initially. Uh, But as the sermon series unfolds, as we continue to look at a particular passage, as we continue to look at a particular topic, certain themes kind of bubble to the surface. And it feels to me 
in this series on finances, that one of those themes, those kind of spirit themes, has kind of bubbled to the surface. It wasn't in my original planning. Uh, I hadn't kind of sketched it out at the beginning. It's kind of caught me by surprise. And so I wanted to kind of raise it with you because I think that there may be something in it for us as a community of faith. And, and that theme, this kind of spirit theme that's kind of bubbled to the surface in the midst of the first two weeks of this series on finances is actually wrapped around the importance of relationship. Um, so in the first week, when we looked at the, the very basis of stewardship, we talked about the fact that if we are stewards of something, we're stewards of someone else's goods, their resources, and that we need to steward them on behalf of that individual. And so if I'm going to be stewarding your resources, I need to know you and your passions and your concerns so that I can be using your resources in ways that would be appropriate. So if God has given us everything, then it's really important that we have a strong relationship with him in order that we are able to steward his resources in ways that would be pleasing to him, that would be kind of useful for his purposes. And then last week, we looked at the power of divided loyalties and how if we are loyal to one person, we end up being dutiful towards another. And Jesus said you can't, you can't serve both God and money. If we're loyal to money, then we can only be dutiful to God. And yet ultimately, we need to have a loyalty to God that's based on a deep and profound relationship of trust that enables us then to be dutiful towards money to treat money as it needs to be treated, as just a, a really good tool, a really effective tool, rather than a master in our lives. And tonight, I, I kind of want to circle around again on this same kind of theme, although it's going to take us a little while to get there, so you have to kind of stick with me on it. But I wanted to highlight for you where we're going to end up talking about, because I think that there's something in this for us to hear as a community of faith about the, the importance of relationship, not only with, with God, but also one with another, as we think about and talk about finances and stewardship and all that kind of stuff and what it means to follow Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you and want to open to uh, Luke chapter 12, and we'll have a bit of a look at this parable, the parable itself is fairly simple, as Jesus' parables usually are. They're not really complex stories in that regard, but they have some really profound truths in them. And the important thing to note about this parable right off the get-go is how it begins and what Jesus is addressing. We don't know heaps about this character. We don't, have, we don't know a name. It's just a certain man. But this certain man is one who, we assume, is struggling with greed, whether he knows it or not. Right? That's how Jesus sets the parable up. Someone in the crowd shouts out uh, to Jesus as a leading rabbi, Rabbi, would you sort out the, the, the money stuff between my brother and I in terms of the, the inheritance? And Jesus is like, that's not my job. And then says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of greed. But life does not consist, he says, in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells this story. And the story's pretty simple. There's a fellow, and he had a bumper crop, and so he decides he's going to store his bumper crop by tearing down his current barns and building even bigger ones, and that's the lot, and then he dies. Ironic, right? Great story. Fantastic. But if we're talking about someone who is, has been influenced and impacted by greed, how does that play out in his life, and how might we see it played out in ours? And there are, I think, at least three things that uh, in this parable we, we learn about the impact and power of greed in our lives. So let me kind of take you through the parable and draw your attention to these things. The first thing that greed appears to do in our lives is that it, um, it, it blinds us to identify the proper source of our good fortune. It blinds us to see the proper source of our good fortune. Have a look at how the story begins. It's really kind of intriguing. It's quite pointed as well. He told them this parable, the ground 
of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. It wasn't even him, the ground, right? And, and commentators point out the fact that there's, there's a real deliberateness in Jesus' story to indicate that this man had next to nothing to do with his success. It was the ground. In fact, we're not even told that he sowed any seed, right? So we're not talking about some agricultural equivalent of Steve Jobs, who has come up with this brilliant new way of kind of getting the most out of all of the seeds and has done all this scientific study and he's got this super fertilizer and he's got these wonderful techniques and he's planted the seed and because of his own genius, the seed has all given a hundred, hundredfold and it's just gone nuts and he's gone, look at man, I'm fantastic. No, the ground produced an abundant harvest. That's it. And yet, nowhere in this story is there any acknowledgement, any awareness by this fellow of God's role in that. He doesn't even acknowledge the ground, which would be idolatrous, but at least a step in the right direction, right? He doesn't at least go out and say, wow, ground, thank you very much. Well played you. Nope, it's all about him. This is what greed does to us. It blinds us to the source of our good fortune. And we begin to think it's my strength, my wisdom, my resource in the end. Which leads to the second thing that greed ends up doing in our lives. And that is that it changes us from stewards into those who possess. Right? It, it removes stewardship and replaces it with possession and control and retention. Right? So what does this fellow decide to do with all that he has been given by the ground, not due to his own uh, kind of skill? Well, he decides he's just going to build even bigger barns and store all the surplus. And so there's no thought that he is a steward. There's no thought of thinking about how he might use what has been given to him in any way more, more broadly than himself. And do you see how, again, greed ends up focusing attention on ourselves? So it's first of all his good fortune that's taken place, and now these are his things for him to have and to hold on to. And then finally, in the midst of all of this, he confuses, and this is the third thing that greed does, it, it confuses pleasure with purpose. So here's his final statement. He says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, as if that is the highest purpose of humanity, as if that's the, the thing that we've been created for. And, and this man is caught up in, in, this, in this greed cycle, shall we say, where he doesn't recognize the source of his good fortune as being God or even the ground. Uh, therefore, he treats what he has been given to steward as something that he ought to be able to control and possess and retain. And he confuses his own pleasure with his purpose. This is the impact of greed on someone's life. And I think we could probably stop right there, couldn't we? And we could reflect a little bit about greed in our own context. We could reflect on greed in our own lives. Is there a lack of gratitude in our lives? Is there a real a sense that everything that we have is, is, is ours by right, that it's what we deserve? Well, then maybe greed has got its fingers into our soul. Have we confused pleasure with purpose as if just a, a doing all the good things and experiencing all the good stuff is all that we've been created for? Is there a sense that what we have been given we want to hold on to and we're not really keen to share it because if we share it, then it's not ours anymore? And have we misunderstood stewardship? And if that's the case, then can I suggest that maybe, 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 maybe you might want to think about greed. This is, this is the story. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because it will manifest in a life that, is, that lacks gratitude, that lacks purpose because it's just pursuing pleasure and that is focused entirely on what you own and possess rather than on what you have been given to steward for someone else's benefit. This is the, the essence of this parable. But as I said at the outset, I think that there's a, a really significant impact here of greed on relationship. You see, first of all, I think we need to consider the impact of greed on our relationships with other people. Did you notice there's only two characters in this parable? There's a certain man and there's God. Now just think about that for a moment. Just think about that for a moment. Think about the first century context. Right? Most people were subsistence farmers, right? which meant that they were basically living hand to mouth, trying to make sure they had enough food day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month. They didn't have a great deal of abundance. This guy has so much stuff, right? He has so much grain surplus that he already has barns to store it in and has received so much more that he's going to tear down his current storage facilities, build even bigger ones, and keep it all for himself. It's remarkable. There's no generosity, there's no open-headedness here, there's no thought at all. Proverbs eleven twenty six 26 actually says that people curse people who hoard grain, but they bless those who are willing to sell. This fellow didn't even need to give the grain away. He just needed to be aware that there were probably people in the community who would have benefited from the hoarding that he had gone through. There were those around him who would have benefited if he had actually been a little bit more open-handed. And greed for us is contextual, isn't it? How many of you have traveled to like a developing country or a place where there's a stark contrast between the haves and the have-nots? Have many of you been to countries, yeah, half, half a year or so, third of you? And one of the things that, that's so confronting about going to a country where there's a huge discrepancy and an obvious discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots is that we find ourselves obviously in the category of the haves, don't we? And so a lot of the decisions that we make here, which seem completely normal, feel a little bit awkward in that context. If you've done any kind of training for going to one of those sorts of locations anywhere in the world, one of the things that they'll often warn you about is, you know, don't show pictures of you in front of your pool with your jacuzzi and your skidoo, or your sea-doo, whatever they call them, and, uh, you know, all that stuff, because it's just not going to be helpful. And if you've been, that's one of the things that often we struggle with when we return, because we return from a country or a place where people have had so little and we have so much, and there's this conflict for us, isn't there? But if you take someone, some, someone who's in the haves in one of those countries and bring them here and put them in the Sutherland Shire, would they actually stand out? When I was in Cambodia a couple of years ago with our church team, right, you've got the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots you can spot a mile away because a whole family is riding around on really bad streets on one scooter. No helmets, right? Kids prop between them all and kind of hanging off and off they go. And then there are people in Hummers. Right? That's kind of the haves and the have-nots. But if you took the people with the Mercedes Benzes from Cambodia and planted them in the Sutherland Shire, they would fit right in. Greed is contextual. And one of the reasons I think we have a hard time spotting our own greed is because it's camouflaged by everyone else's. 
I mean, can we really say that our society is not caught up with greed? Like, could anyone defend that? Could we actually stand there and go, no, no, we're not a greedy society at all. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way we could defend that. But we so often miss it in our own lives because of the context. And if we were to take ourselves out of our context, we might be confronted a little bit more with our own greed. And greed ends up isolating us from other people. It's fascinating that in a context where Jesus was speaking to a crowd, where community was central, where people were not highly mobile, you didn't move all over the place, you grew up in the same town. It's amazing that Jesus could talk about a certain man, and this certain man never once talks about family, never once talks about his wider community. He is utterly isolated with all his stuff. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? Greed isolates us. It's not actually our technology that isolates us. It's our greed. It's our greed that actually keeps us alone. And so this man is alone. But his greed also cuts off his relationship with God. This man has no reference point to say thank you. He has no point to say, you know, what is your purpose for my life? He has no reference point, it seems, to be able to figure out what he might do with the surplus that he has been given. There's absolutely no relationship with God, no gratitude, no grand purpose, no sense that there might be more to life than just having a lot of grain to eat, drink, and be merry for a long, long time. And and this, I think, we need to grapple with as well. That greed doesn't only isolate us from one another, but it isolates us from God. It can actually sever that and make the relationship really tricky because we end up focused on ourselves. We end up focused on our discrepancy, sorry, our our perceived lack. Uh, We focus on what we have, what we can control, what we are going to do with what we have. And that ends up isolating us not only from each other, but also from the plans and purposes of God. And so greed is, for very good reason, considered one of the deadly sins or one of the capital sins from which many, 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 many others all flow. It's one of the seven deadly sins, one of those sins that uh, for some in the, in the um, uh, Middle Ages felt that was the, the centerpiece. It was the first sin, the desire for more. And so we, we really need to think about this. We need to grapple with this because of the impact that it has on our relationships with each other, but also on our relationship with God. And can I just say at this point then, that, that this, this theme of relationship has, I think has changed this series a little bit for me. Now, I always intended that this would not be a, um, a sermon series about how the church needs more money, right? Uh, I, I, the last thing I want anyone to walk away with is to say, oh, you know, my church, man, they're ba- always banging on about money, and there was another series on money, and the church needs more money. And, right, well, and, and that's not it. It can't be. Now, more money would make my job a little bit easier. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, my success as a pastor as the leader of this community of faith at this point in time, my success is not tied to how many budgets we hit. That just means that we've got a good finance team, which is important, and we do. But ultimately, if I'm going to count my time here as a success, 
if those in leadership are going to view this as a time of success, then ultimately what I want for each of you, what I want for us as a community of faith is that we all learn how to walk more closely with Jesus. And that's why I think this theme of relationship has become kind of so critical for us to consider. It's not just about the money. It's about, it's about our relationship with God. It's about recognizing that we are stewards of what God has given to us. It's about actually knowing him well enough to know how he might want us to use his resources. It's about having a deep enough and profound enough trust in God that we are loyal to him and only dutiful towards the things of money. Where we love God, but we allow money to serve us. Where we pay the bills and we prepare for our retirement and we do all that stuff, but it doesn't own us, it doesn't possess us. In fact... What matters most is that we have been set free from the oppression of money and security, so-called, and greed in order to serve God more effectively. And so I think that we need to be people who are willing to face up to, well, the ugly parts of our lives. To be able to say, yeah, I'm greedy. That's success for this sermon series. If we could actually kind of face up to ourselves and go, you know what? I've bought into the lies that finances will set me free, that financial security is actually what I need. I've bought into the belief that I own what I've been given. And if we could confront um, the the deep hold that finances um, have on our lives and the crippling effect that it has on our discipleship, then I think we'd be away down the track. Let me draw your attention, though, to something else I think is really critical in this. Let me ask you a question. If God were to speak face-to-face with one of us tonight, God was going to appear, he's going to pull one of us aside and speak to us, who would it be? Who would it be? If you had to come up with a bit of a short list, if you had to do a little bit of a pre-interview panel, if God had said to you, listen, I want to speak to somebody tonight, can you just kind of do a bit of a short list for me, prep four or five names, who would it be? What would you look for in the person who God was going to speak to tonight face to face? Would you look for someone who has no gratitude, someone who thinks they own everything they have, and who has confused pleasure with purpose? Because that's who God speaks to here. Isn't that remarkable? This person who, has been, who is so lost in their greed, they cannot see the hand of God, they do not see the need around them, it is to this person that God speaks in this parable. God says to him, have a look, have a look at it. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, how do, you, how do you think God says that? What's the tone? Because so often I think we read that tone as, as harsh. You fool. This very night your life will be get, 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 taken from you. Then who's going to get all your stuff? But consider what we know about God. Perhaps. You fool. Tonight, tonight your life will be gathered, taken from you. And then who gets all the stuff you stored up for yourself? 
God wants to speak to us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our greed, in the midst of our self-centeredness, in the midst of all of that darkness. That is where God speaks to us. He doesn't wait for us to become uber holy. He doesn't wait for us to become extraordinarily righteous or extraordinarily faithful. He speaks to us in these moments. And he says, with as much kindness as he can, oh, you fool. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're on a path to destruction. You're not going to be successful living this way. You're not going to be successful dragging everything closer and closer to yourself. That's not how I made the world. I made the world in such a way that generosity is what is blessed, that giving yourself away is what leads to success in life. That's how I, God says, created the world. That's wisdom. And we see the wisdom of God most fully in Christ Jesus, don't we? Who poured himself out for us. Or did he pour himself out for us? Jesus finishes this parable by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus was first and foremost rich towards God. And when it all came down to the crunch, when push came to shove in the garden, Jesus was able to set aside his pleasure and his will for the purposes of God. He was able to recognize that all that he had been given was actually to be used for the good of those around him. And ultimately, his richness towards God has meant our own riches. And so tonight, as we respond to this word, we want to take communion where we are reminded of Christ's richness towards God that has led to our salvation. And tonight, God will speak to each of you. And if you sit there thinking to yourself, there's no way God would want to speak to me about this. There's no way. I, don't, I can't even see all the, kind of, all the sin in my life. God wants to speak to you tenderly and gently tonight to call us into the freedom that he has given us in Christ Jesus. Not only freedom from sin and freedom from death, but freedom from a dependence upon financial security, freedom from greed, freedom into life and life to its full. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to invite you just when you're ready to come forward and grab a piece of bread and a cup of juice, return to your seats. And when you're ready, take and eat and take and drink. An opportunity for you to kind of lay out your life before the Lord. Uh, an opportunity to reflect on his richness towards you and what he may be calling you to do. A recognition of how we perhaps, because it's so easy, have grabbed things and made them our own, to possess them, to have them, to see them as our good fortune and do with them what we want, confusing our pleasure with God's purposes for our lives. And hear God speak to you tonight. An opportunity for freedom. So let me pray. Oh Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you have come to set us free. 
And we pray that you would continue to set us free from loyalty to things. Pray that you would set us free from our own greed, that you would reveal to us the ways in which we have perhaps become consumed by things, desiring pleasure over purpose, and thinking that we control everything that's in our hands. I pray that you might deepen our own relationship with you, that we might trust you all the more fully, find ourselves loyal to you, dedicated to you and to your purposes in the world and committed to using the resources that you have given us to those ends. I pray that in this time, with this little piece of bread and little cup of juice, that it might be for us a spiritual food, a reminder of your great example to us, your great forgiveness of us, and the call that you have placed before us. So bless this time, we pray. Amen. So just when you're ready, come forward. Steph's going to play until we're kind of taking our time. And then when everyone's had an opportunity to come forward, I'll come up and pray again to wrap up our time before we conclude our service.